I'm Alexandra Joe, Director of Outreach and Education at Parting Stone, and you're listening to the Death Care Decoded Podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, we return to my conversation with Mark Harrison, President of Certified Safety Training, and Ebony Dukes, Funeral Service Program Director at Northwest Mississippi Community College, to talk about the funeral rule, which was recently up for review. We talk about what the rule is, what might be changing about it in the current review period, and the pros and cons that having such a rule creates. You're jumping into a conversation with myself, Mark Harrison, and Ebony Dukes. I have heard some about funeral rule being under revision, or but I don't, again, as not a funeral director, know exactly what that means. Can we do some like layman explaining before we go into diving into it? Yes. So the funeral rule, complying with the funeral rule is the standard that every person in the funeral service space. So funeral homes, cemeteries, if you sell funeral services, then you must comply with this rule. Certain things must be itemized. The services that you provide, consumers must know what is available to them and how much those things cost. Mm -hmm. And so what's under review currently, the biggest thing is the exposure to prices. So a lot of funeral homes, I think they the number is 18% of funeral homes have their general price list available online. Mm-hmm. And the conversation has been going on for many years as to whether the funeral rule should be amended so that funeral homes are required to post their general price list, their outer burial container casket price list online for consumers to easily be able to Mm -hmm. distinguish or or look at the prices. Mm -hmm. And so there was a meeting a couple weeks ago where the FTC opened the floor for questions and comments from the community at large to give their opinions about the funeral rule, if it needs to be amended, if it's fine the way it is. And so Mm -hmm. we're kind of in a waiting period now to see what the commissioners are going to decide about whether changes need to be made regarding the funeral rule or not. Just a little more historical context, kind of like I did with OSHA. The funeral rule is from the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. And I think, Ebony, correct me if I'm wrong, but it came in effect in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 1984. 1984. Great year, by the way. I don't want to give away my age. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But it was, uh, there was just a lot of abuse in the industry, right? A lot of consumers were getting taken for a ride. And it's, I think, generally been a, a very good thing for the industry in terms of professionalism, regulation, right? And transparency. But it hasn't really evolved with the times and how we communicate as, as businesses and as consumers. So I think that's a large part of what they're looking at now is how do they transmit information and what, what should be required of a funeral home you know, in 2022 and 2023. Right. I, I'm pretty sure that this rule was a result of the American way of death by Jessica Mitford, or at least was around that time, right? She had a, she had a huge part in it. Mm-hmm. And so is there like pushback from 
the profession on changing this and making that price list have to be available online? Because I can only see this as being a good thing for families. We've seen after COVID remote arrangements and online arrangements skyrocketing and not going back to the way it was before. And I think that this would only help families. And there was a really amazing bit of research put out um, recently about who funeral planners are now and who they're going to be in the future. And it broke them down into like seven different categories and it's from Passare and Passare like named each category and gave you information about their age and their religious background and you know, what they want and what they're looking for. And the two fastest growing categories were called solo secularist. So less religious people and click and callers who are online funeral arrangers and shoppers. And those are the two, millennial populations that are growing the most quickly and will come and will create about 60% of funeral consumers in the next five to 10 years. And so, yeah, I'm just wondering if there is pushback on this from the profession or if we're all like, yeah, we should be doing this anyway. Cause 18% is a low number for the people that already have the price list online. I think it's split. I think there is some pushback. Some people are in communities where you have like these direct disposal type mm, yes. companies. And so for, if you look at funeral services, only a dollar amount, I think mm-hmm. you're going in wrong. Mm-hmm. And forgive me if that's the wrong word to use, but I, I don't think when you are making a decision of who's going to care for your loved one, in their final time, it should solely be based on money. And I think for a lot of funeral professionals, their fear is that families will be severely underserved if it is just, okay, well, these are the cheapest people according to what I see online, so I'm going to go with them. Mm. We have to be mindful of the fact that sometimes we get what we pay for and, and um, death is not a time where that reality should be true. Um, so I think for some people, that's why they don't want their prices to be posted online because people will then go in and make their prices cheaper just because they want the volume. You know, they want to be able to say that they're serving all of the people in this area. But then you have other people who are like, I don't care if they add it or not, I've already been doing it. Or when they tell me I have to do it, I'll do it. But, you know, I just haven't done it because I don't have a website. A lot of people's (laughs) general price lists aren't on their website because they don't have one, you know, not because they're being defiant. They live in a community where it's not a necessity. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think it's split down the middle. But then you just have some people who just don't, who flat out don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Ebony, I think you just gave away that you're in Mississippi, too. I think a lot of the country <laughs> yes. has, has websites. don't have websites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they don't. The other, the other thing I'll just mention, too, is that the FTC does send in undercover representatives as consumers. And they will... They will tag you with a $44,000 plus fine mm-hmm. if, if you're not doing the right thing with the funeral rule. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the number offhand, but there are dozens of those examples every year. So the industry pays a lot of attention to it. 
And I don't think to answer your question, Alexandra, I don't, I don't know if anybody wants to be a leader in this, you know, nobody, I don't think anyone's like raising the torch saying, let's do it this way. I think they're all kind of just paying attention. They want to be in compliance, Mm -hmm. but I don't think anyone really wants to say, oh yeah, I I believe so strongly it should be this way because they probably don't want to stick their neck out too far. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause it's such a touchy subject, I think for particularly like funeral business owners and funeral directors about we're not the bad guys the bad apples that give us all a bad name. So we shouldn't have to, you, you know, do this, or, but then it also protects the consumer. And, and I think that Ebony, you bring up a great point about direct to cremation services, which do serve some families and there is a need for it in some instances. But when we don't educate our families about the services that we offer outside of the price of the casket, the price of the actual cremation, um, the price of the actual burial or the vault or whatever. We don't share with them all of the work that goes into getting all the legal paperwork done and chain of custody and writing up death certificates and getting everything submitted correctly and doing all of the other things that funeral directors and funeral business owners do, including holding emotional space, setting up and breaking down services, finding vendors, the value of the complete service is lost on the general public, I believe. And I I can't remember, a lot of people have said it, but I heard it recently and I I apologize, I can't remember who said it, but they said we're like wedding planners who are responsible for putting together a huge party or a huge event in five days or less. And they want us to do it with a third of the budget. First of all, Ebony, I think I told you that. Did you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. And you, you, you kind of butchered it. Did I the way, the way I say it? <laughs> you kind of frame it out is, and what, what event in life do you invite your most cherished people in your life, like hundreds of them potentially, and have a ceremony, have food, make sure people get there. You know, everybody says a wedding. No, it's a wedding. It's definitely a wedding. And then the funeral director can say, yeah, we do that in three days. All that planning that goes into a wedding, we do the equivalent of that basically in three days, mm-hmm. five days in your case. So mm-hmm. um, you can you can quote me next time. Okay, okay, I will. And I'll say it <laughs> properly as well. <laughs> but that's very so honest, though. And 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 when people say, Well, I don't need that, you know, I don't we don't need a funeral. We don't and and it's only their shell. But true, depending on your religious beliefs. The spirit has gone on, but the shell is what you look at. You know, I'm looking at each of your shells, right? And so it doesn't just, the importance of your shell doesn't go away because you're not breathing anymore. So to diminish it to it's just a shell, it's like, no, I I don't think you really believe that. I think mm-hmm. we've convinced ourselves that it's okay to say that, but my mother's body is so much more than a shell to me. Mm -hmm. And I think if we were to really hold space for ceremony, now it doesn't have to look Mm -hmm. like, you know, a funeral doesn't have to look the same for each and every person. Nor should it. Right. But we must hold space for the emotion that we feel when that person is no longer here to say, Mm -hmm. I don't need that. I I think that's why we're able to be so mean to each other because we have all this bottled up grief from not being able to express 
the pain that we feel for losing people. You know, you think about it. The mindset now is I want to get this over as soon as possible. I want to, I just want to be done with this. And I, I, I believe the, the way we handle and deal with our dead is why we're able to see people killed in the street and move on or be able to videotape it versus getting them help. Um, it's somewhere along the way we truly lost the value of life through the way we handle our dead. And I feel like as a profession, we have to restore that. To restore humanity, we have to restore that. Mm. That's well said. Yeah, I love that. That's very well said. Yeah, and I love that you bring up also the importance of taking time for ceremony and making it look different for every person because it should, because yes, it's not just like a shell of a person anymore. The, the remains, the body has a lot of significance for a lot of people who are mourning. When my mom passed away, it was pretty violent and she wasn't found for a couple of days. And so, and I was out of town. And so by the time I got back into town, found out what's going on, found out what was happening and where she was, I never got to see her again and really fixated on the body part of it in a lot of my grief that I, that I didn't get to have a visual closure moment. And what would have been very helpful for me would have been a ceremony or a ritual or something to help me through that instead of it just being like, oh, you're 18. It's for your own good. You don't know what you're talking about. Go sit down and let's say mm -hmm. a prayer, which I was not even religious at the, you know what I mean? And so I think that's really important to think about. And I know like it takes a lot of time and effort that often funeral directors don't have, but to really get to know each family and understand what their needs are, because the services for the person that's died, yes, but it's really at its core for the grieving Absolutely. family and friends and, and chosen family and keeping sight of that. I think will help us stay focused on, yeah, like you said, bringing the humanity back into all of it. And the more we do that and the more people that have positive experiences with the services and ceremonies and memorials that we and our businesses provide, the more I think that the societal perception of the value of a funeral business or funeral professional is going to become more pervasive and, and better understood. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, and I, again, this is something I talked to Glenda about in celebrant training. Every time people go to a funeral and have a positive experience, they're going to recommend that business to their next person who needs to plan a funeral. They're going to tell everybody like this funeral was different than all the other funerals I've attended and, and served me better and served my family. And that's a step in changing public mm -hmm. perception on on what we do and helping people understand that, yes, you can get a direct cremation for $2,000. If you come to me, your cremation and service is going to be $7,000, but look at all of this other stuff that you get. You are getting what you pay for, quote unquote, right? And yeah, just communicating that clearly, I think is, is going to be super valuable. Mm -hmm. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Here's another thank you note from a happy parting stone family. Thank you so much for creating the beautiful stones for my cat Redford. He was my first cat and my sole cat. 
We had a super special connection that carried us through many events, ups and downs over 18 years. I miss his blue eyes and orange red coat, but these stones make me feel close to him still. I'm so grateful. 